as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. There used to be a column in the Daily Telegraph called, um, I don't know how she does it. And this column, in particular, chronicled, it was a kind of a diary, that chronicled the weekly activities of a working mum in the city of London. And I saw recently that uh, they've obviously all been gathered together and made into uh, a book. It's now, uh, I think, called an international bestseller, and that's its uh, front cover there. It's all about the trials of this mother of two, who is also holding down this stressful job in the office as a fund manager. And it's really a, a kind of comedy, if you like, a kind of commentary on modern social life. It aims to deal with some of these difficult pressures of trying to keep down a, a job and also have a life at the same time. And the whole thing um, reads and feels like a roller coaster as she manages to juggle uh, childcare, maintaining some kind of relationship with her husband, uh, uh, do the shopping, arrange various uh, domestic tasks, and still keep all her clients and her uh, employers happy at work. And what comes over is just this sense of sheer pressure and breathlessness of the pace of modern life. And I'm sure there's uh, certainly some of you here who know the kinds of uh, stress and kinds of uh, long hours that I'm talking about in some of these companies. The blurb of the book says that she counts seconds like some women count calories. And again, something we hear regularly from a lot of people is that their time now is more valuable to them than how much money they have. They will happily pay for people to even do the most normal and most menial and most easy to do tasks because it means they have more time to spend on what they want to do, like some kind of uh, leisure activities or maybe working even harder to actually pay for all the help that, that they, they need to uh, uh, do the extra uh, tasks. And I'm not necessarily saying that there's anything wrong with that kind of thing. It's just symptomatic of the world where we live, a world where time has rapidly become our most important commodity. And because of that, it involves some very, very important decisions for us about how we use it, what we do with our time. And so what I'd really like to focus on tonight is just to spend a few minutes looking at the importance of being devoted to Christ in the midst of all the stresses and strains of our daily routines. What does it mean for us to be devoted to Christ in a world where people suffer from time famine? Um, last year, when we looked together at the book of Acts, if uh, any of you can remember doing that at these evening services, we saw that one of the most important questions to ask when we came to a scripture passage like this is why has Luke and the Holy Spirit chosen to include this particular story at the place where they have? Why did Luke 
choose to position this story about Mary and Martha here and not elsewhere in his gospel? Why did he make that choice? I mean, we know he edited his uh, material. What is his particular purpose in including this story here? If we just kind of uh, broaden out a wee bit, this whole section of Luke's gospel is all about Jesus and his disciples travelling towards Jerusalem. That's what it means at the beginning of uh, verse 38 when it says that Jesus and his disciples were on their way. That's where they they were going to. They were on their way to uh, Jerusalem. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to fulfil his uh, mission where he knew that he would have to suffer and die to uh, take away people's sins. However, um, as they're all going there, Jesus and his uh, uh, disciples, Luke takes the opportunity to uh, teach us about discipleship what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so he's just dealt with our relationship to other people around us in the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's from chapter 10 and verse 25 down to verse 37. And then in the particular passage that we're dealing with tonight, Luke moves on to show us that a disciple's priority is um, not just to look out for other people around us, but also to nurture and foster their relationship with the Lord. Not only service, but devotion is important. Serving others has its place. But a disciple's ultimate priority is always going to be sitting at the feet of his Lord and humbly learning from him. That's what Luke's trying to uh, teach us through this story. So that's where Luke's going to take us. And the way that he actually gets us there is by means of this dialogue between Jesus and Martha. Martha has chosen to serve Jesus, while Mary has chosen to listen to his word. Over the course of the story, Jesus makes it plain that Mary has made the wisest choice, the best decision. So all this means for us that as disciples today, Our priority is to spend time with Jesus, sitting at his feet and listening to his word. There may be plenty of other things that we have to do as well, but that is the ultimate priority. That's what's in the number one slot. And I'd very simply and straightforwardly like to look at this in two main sections. First of all, the danger of being distracted from Jesus. The danger of being distracted from Jesus. And here we're going to, in particular, look at the example of Martha. And I think the first thing that we need to say about Martha is that a lot of what she's doing is actually really good. Jesus and his disciples were passing through her village and she's taken them in and offered them hospitality. She probably wasn't actually there, but if she hadn't been there, then she was certainly putting the teaching of the parable of of the Good Samaritan into practice, wasn't she? She was serving Jesus. That that must have involved preparing a meal. I would have thought uh, that that wasn't any mean task when you consider that there must have been a a minimum of 13 people and probably a lot more in Jesus' entourage. It probably involved other practical arrangements as well. Fetching water to wash everyone's feet. And the constant hubbub of activities, lots of uh, folk from the uh, neighbourhood all called round to see what was going on. I think the important thing is that, that, that Martha wasn't frittering away her time. 
She was actually doing something that's very important for all disciples to do. She was serving the Lord. She was looking after people's practical needs. We shouldn't miss the fact that in one sense, we are meant to be like Martha, offering hospitality and caring for others. However, where Martha went wrong is that she was distracted by her service. The word that's translated distracted there in verse 40, when it says, uh, but Martha was distracted literally by all the uh, service that she had to do. The word that's translated distracted there actually means a cross between kind of being pulled away from and over burdened or stressed by. So the basic sense here is that Martha was kind of being um, dragged away from uh, Jesus. She was being weighed down by uh, all the preparations that needed uh, to be made and was being kind of drawn away from spending time with Jesus as a result. There was just so much to do that it very quickly all got on top of her and she got worked up and stressed out. Before very long, she was rushing around like a headless chicken while her sister Mary calmly sat and listened to Jesus. I guess Mary was doing what, in my experience, all younger brothers and sisters do, which is as soon as there's any chores to be done, they manage to do an amazing disappearing act. It's not hard to think of the tension slowly rising as Martha's rushing around doing all the work and Mary just sits there without raising a finger to help at Jesus' feet. As is often the case when someone has a lot to to do and they begin to get worked up and stressed, they begin to lose perspective. And that's exactly what happens to Martha. It's not long before she's lost total perspective on what she's doing and, more importantly, perhaps, who she's doing it for. Because by now, all she can think about is finishing the task in hand. She's perhaps only vaguely aware of Jesus out of the corner of her eye and it's the meat and the vegetables and the uh, lentil soup and the table settings that's commanding her full attention. The most important thing to her is just getting the job done and serving Jesus and then she can just sit down and relax, job satisfaction, job completed. She's so consumed with her service that she can't really conceive of anyone doing anything else other than helping her. She naturally assumes then that Jesus is on her side, that Jesus would want her to be doing what she's doing, and she tries to enlist his help in getting her delinquent and lazy sister to stop listening to him and to start helping her. In the meantime, she's beginning to feel a bit sorry for herself and lonely and can't understand why Jesus would let her do all this work on her own. And I think before too long, one would expect her to see her sitting on the kitchen stool with her head in her hands and tears streaming down her cheeks, overburdened by it all. And by that stage, she's lost all perspective and has been completely distracted from what started out as genuine and sincere service to the Lord Jesus. As soon as the service itself becomes more important than the one we are serving, we are destined for trouble, aren't we? So then, how do we apply this to ourselves? What areas of our lives do you think this applies to? What good and necessary things are we doing that are exercising their gradual gravitational pull on us 
and are in danger of dragging us away from Jesus. I guess there's a whole number of different contenders that there could, could be, but uh, I'd like to uh, at least try and suggest two. The first is work. It might be hard to believe, but work is actually something that is necessary and good. It's actually part of God's plan for us to make a contribution to wider society, to be creative and industrious like he is, and for us to develop our unique individual gifts and talents and and skills which he has given, for us to fulfil our God-given potential, that kind of thing. So work is a good and necessary part of our lives. How tragic then that we sometimes let it loom so large that it actually distracts us from thinking about the larger issues of why we are here and what we are doing. How terrible that we let it get in the way of our relationship with God, which is what gives it all the purpose and meaning and direction and context in the first place. Once we get stressed about it and think that our whole life depends and hinges on it, and get so absorbed in it to the exclusion of everything else, we cut it free from its intended moorings in God that help keep it in a right perspective. So, so many folk know that there is more to life, yet they often let their commitment to work stop them from finding out and investigating and thinking about what that is. See, work is something good and something necessary, but it's also something that can distract us from Jesus. The uh, second and less obvious one I'd like to suggest is actually church. It might surprise you to say that, but again, church is something that's good and necessary. As we will see next week, the community of God's people is an opportunity to be served and and to serve and to be nurtured in our relationship with Jesus. And yet it can actually be our service at church that sometimes distracts us from him. You're probably familiar with the image of the frazzled church member who is so involved in the work of the church that they're constantly running from one meeting to the next or are constantly stressed about where the leaders and the youth worker are going to come from. They may not be as common as they used to be but there are still some church members like that out there. In in the church, more than anywhere else, there is the danger of being so caught up with serving Jesus that we actually begin to forget about Jesus himself. And so the first thing that we need to do if we're going to be devoted to Jesus in a busy world is make sure that we've not become distracted from Jesus by things that are necessary and good. So then, where do you stand on this? What good and necessary thing have you allowed to distract you from Jesus? Does your work loom so large on your horizon that you're incapable of thinking about or investigating anything else? Have you focused on your service at church so much that your devotion has maybe gone a bit cold? Have you lost a perspective? Would you be more likely to get stressed trying to be a domestic goddess than a listening disciple? You see, I think there's a lot more of... Martha in us than most of us realise. 
And the first step to being devoted to Jesus in a hectic world is recognizing that and beginning to take some kind of remedial action. And it's that uh, remedial action that we'll turn to now as we look at number two, which is the priority of being devoted to Jesus. And this brings us to the example of Mary and the way that Jesus commended her decision to sit at his feet and listen to his word. We can see exactly what he said um, in verses 41 and 42. In uh, answering Martha's question, Jesus uh, said that she was worried and anxious or upset about many things, but only one thing was needed. Now, it's not immediately clear from the text what that one thing is. Some have uh, speculated that Jesus might have been saying that there's no need to go to a lot of trouble and prepare a big a fancy meal with lots of courses when only one course would do. However, I think it's far, far more likely that Jesus was talking to Martha about her priorities in life and saying that spending time with him was needed, that that was actually more important in this instance than the preparation of food. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter between the two because Jesus goes on to clearly commend Mary for making the right choice anyway. He said that Mary had chosen what was better Literally, it says that Mary had chosen the good portion. Meaning that she had chosen the right food. It's not actually pushing it too far to say that while Martha Martha was getting worked up preparing the meal, Mary had already chosen the main course. That's the sense of it here. She had chosen the absolutely best thing that there was on the menu. The really good stuff in choosing to sit under Jesus' teaching and listening to what he had to say, the bread of life. Earlier on in Luke's Gospel, um, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, when he's being tempted in the wilderness. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's in Luke chapter 4, verse 4. And that, again, is the idea that Luke's giving us here. The wise choice, the right food, the meal that really counts, the good portion, what is best, is God's word. That is far, far richer than any meal of physical food and therefore Mary is to be commended. Martha was serving and she did well. Mary was listening to Jesus and she did even better. But why is this? Let's just uh, take a step back for a moment. Why is it a greater priority to spend time with Jesus rather than perform acts of service. If you like, why was Mary right and Martha was wrong? Well, I think the first answer to that is um, in the text itself, right at the end there, of uh, verse 42. Jesus said that what Mary had chosen would not be taken away from her. One of Martha's meals might last a few hours and then everyone would be hungry again. But a few hours spent at Jesus' feet taking in his teaching, resulting in a a changed life, was something that would last for all eternity. So this is what Jesus uh, said in uh, John chapter 6, verses 27 to 29, when he's talking to the disciples. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? 
And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What Jesus says is very plain. If we want eternal life, then we must make Mary's choice. We have to listen to God's word and through it come to believe in Jesus and put our faith and our confidence and our reliance on him. The second reason why Mary made the right choice was that she had got service and devotion the right way round. Whereas Martha had become distracted by service and was getting stressed about it, Mary had recognised the priority of spending time with, with Jesus if she was going to be able to serve effectively. As I've already said, it's no accident that this story follows uh, right on, on the heels of the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan demonstrated the importance of the disciple of Jesus doing good and serving others. Here, the account of Mary and Martha demonstrates the importance of, serving, of spending time with Jesus if we're going to serve others well. It's impossible, you see, to sever the link between Christian service and Christian devotion. You can't say to a Christian that you're happy for them to serve, but, but they can't bring their faith into it. The two, you see, are inextricably linked. It's just not possible to separate them out. You can't have one without the other. Christian a devotion is the fuel of Christian service. You can't have useful time serving others unless you first spent time listening to Jesus and sitting at his feet. So one thing, you wouldn't know how to serve others unless you listen to what Jesus says about how to do it and study his commands. And then where do the motivation and the love and the strength to serve others come from if they don't come from quality time with Jesus spent reading his word and praying? How can we go anywhere unless there's any fuel in the car? It's just not possible, is it? You can't run your Christian service on an empty tank. You need a devotion. Devotion, if you like, is the kind of foundation of everything else. Now, service is great, and we'll come to look at it in a few weeks. But we need to make sure that we get these two things the right way round. A devotion must precede service, because it is only if we do things that way that we have the necessary teaching and resources and strength to serve well and in the right spirit and for the right results. So then let's move on to some uh, practical considerations as we close. How does all this apply to us? What does it mean for us then to sit at Jesus' feet? What does it mean, uh, what, what does it mean for us in a very practical way to be devoted uh, to the Lord? Well, as we're thinking in particular about our individual uh, devotion, I'd like to quickly mention four things. Number one, discipline. We will never spend any meaningful time with Jesus unless we make it a regular part of our lives. You see, being busy is never about how many things we have on. It is about what things we prioritise as being important. I've just had a really hectic week this um, last week, as uh, those of you who know me well will know. However, I still found time to watch my favourite television programme and go jogging on Monday night. You see, the simple reason for that was that I prioritised those two things as crucial and important and therefore I, I did them. I, I disciplined myself and I used my time accordingly. And it's exactly the same with time spent with God. The first battle that we have to fight is to make sure that we get to our diaries first and early and carve out appropriate time. A conference call with Luke and the Holy Spirit at half past seven in the morning. 
most Christians try to spend some time reading and praying every day, and that's a great habit to get into. It's also occasionally good, I think, to try to set aside longer periods, maybe to think or pray about a particular issue. So that's number one, which is a discipline. Number two, planning. We'll not just want to read God's word aimlessly either, but we'll want some kind of structure to it. A a balanced diet, after all, is very important. There are various reading plans, for instance, that you can get that take you through the whole scriptures in one year or uh, two years, and they're certainly very useful. One other way, perhaps, is to work your your way through different books of the Bible, maybe with a simple commentary or a notebook and to write down some of what you discover. There are people who find notes helpful, but I find that the temptation with notes is more to read what the person writing the notes has actually written rather than getting into the scriptures for myself. The main thing is to plan to read a portion of God's word every day and to do that in some kind of systematic fashion, not in a haphazard or random way. Thirdly, meditation. You know, I think one of the uh, problems that we often have as Christians is a, what I'd term, um, information overload. We've just got so much uh, teaching and so much good stuff coming in that we end up not, not really processing any of it. It never really uh, filters down into the grassroots of our lives. And I think the main reason for that is because we don't take time to actually chew on it and uh, meditate on it. I do honestly wonder whether we would be better off if we took notes on one sermon a Sunday and used them as the basis for our Monday quiet time rather than listening to two sermons and then doing nothing about either of them. Just a thought. Meditation is basically making known what we know in our heads to be actually lived out as part of our lives. One, one way that I do that is that I try and keep a particular phrase or verse or kind of thought or idea or aspect of, of God's character in my head during the, the day and I kind of chew it over occasionally as I'm walking down the street. I was uh, really struck in studying um, the week before last that nowhere that I can find in Scripture does it tell us to read the, the Bible yet we are consistently, over and over again, told to meditate on it. I'm sure you would agree with me that there's all the difference in the world between reading something and meditating on something. Yet the majority of us just read and don't meditate, in spite of the fact that in Scripture we're commanded to meditate, and I'm not actually sure whether I can find anywhere that commands us just to read. This is Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. But if his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, he will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. If you want to lead a stable, flourishing, healthy, fruitful, prosperous Christian life, according to God's word, then Meditate on the law of the Lord. I don't just read it. Let it seep down, filter in, and become part of your inner being. If you just stick a, a tea bag in some hot, hot, hot water and immediately put it straight out, you get a pretty miserable cup of tea, don't you? Fourthly, adoration. Finally, when we 
sit at Jesus' feet, we will want to spend time praying to him and praising him and worshipping him for who he is. Some of the songs that we were singing earlier on, for instance, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds and nothing I desire compares with you. All my days I will sing this song of gladness, give my praise to the fountain of delight, for in my helplessness you heard my cry and waves of mercy poured down on my life. I find it helpful to read a book every now and again that is exclusively about Jesus. The one I read most recently was called The Incomparable Christ by John Stott, which goes through how all the different authors of the Bible portray Jesus and then looks at his impact on different people's lives throughout history. I commend it to you. So then, how can we be devoted to Jesus in a busy world? Firstly, we need to guard against the danger of being distracted even by things that are good and necessary. Then secondly, we need to acknowledge the overwhelming priority of spending time with Jesus and actually do something practical to make sure that we do that in our lives. And all this is not something that's a drudgery or all about a discipline and pain. It's something amazing that Jesus personally invites each one of us to do so that we might receive from him. To those who feel stressed and worn out and tired at work or college or looking after relations or whatever, he calls you to come and be refreshed and reinvigorated and have your perspectives altered and changed and nourished and grow in him. To those who are serving others, he calls you to come to him for all the resources that you need. Maybe for coping with someone else's problems or going on a camp or a trip abroad coming up. Come to him. And then if you're here and you aren't a Christian, he calls you to come to him as well. At the moment, when you walk to work through the beauties of Edinburgh and you see, I don't know, Edinburgh Castle and Princess Street Gardens or something, you have no one to thank for that. When you face difficult decisions about priorities in your life, you have no one to guide you and to hold your hand. And worst of all, when you feel that great weight of sin and guilt and judgment in your life, you have no one to forgive you and love you and be your friend. Therefore, Jesus invites you to come to him. Don't stress it out alone. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray together.